as they understand the model, and that's the key, as they understand the model, they start to understand how to leverage the infrastructure in a way that works for them in their business model. This is episode 259 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. We've been following Ammon, Idaho for some time now, having written numerous stories and producing a video about the Ammon model. The community is continuing to grow their open access network and also reap the benefits of the public investment. This week, Christopher talks with Bruce Patterson from Ammon and Michael Curry from Strategic Networks Group to offer more details about Ammon's network. In addition to sharing details about community savings and benefits to both residents and businesses, we'd learn more about the Ammon model and how it works for subscribers. Before we get started, we want to remind you that this commercial-free podcast isn't free to produce. Take a minute to contribute at ILSR.org. If you're already a contributor, thanks. Now here's Christopher, Bruce, and Michael with more information on the Ammon model. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell, and I'm back with two well-known guests to longtime listeners of our show. Uh, we're going to start with Bruce Patterson, the Technology Director for the City of Ammon in Idaho. Welcome back. Thank you, Chris. Happy to be here. And we also have Michael Curry, the president of the Strategic Networks Group, uh, which does a lot of analysis of, uh, of various uh, broadband networks. Welcome back. Hi, Chris. Thanks. Great to be here. So I think we're going to start with a brief background to remind people what both of these folks are up to, and then we're going to talk about a really interesting study that looks at uh, Ammon and uh, the benefits to the community from the network. Uh, but Bruce, let's start with you. Can you just give us a very brief overview of what Ammon is doing for people that might not have listened to all the times you've been on the show in the past? You know, primarily we started to install fiber infrastructure back in 2010, 2011, and it was mostly to serve the city. And so that fiber was terminated in city properties and it started to deliver city services and it improved our economy. And I'm sure we'll spend a little bit of time talking about that. But today we leverage that to provide uh, fiber connectivity to businesses and residents. In fact, we're in the middle of our first local improvement district, which is really a funding mechanism we're using to deliver fiber to the home to some neighborhoods in Ammon. And at this point, we're about halfway through that first uh, LID. And we have uh, around 100 or just over 100 homes connected and turned up. And we predict we'll have this first LID completed this fall and should have close to 300 homes online. And just for, for people to remember, Ammon is a small community. It's part of the, it's right next to Idaho Falls, which is a larger kind of part of the, um, the metro there in, in East Idaho. And you have cable, you have DSL. It's not like you had nothing. You're, you're kind of basically making sure that you have the top-notch technology available. That's right. And we're also open access. So the city actually doesn't deliver any retail services at all. We're just really the road that's used by the providers. And we're happy to have uh, a total of six today. We're bringing on two more as we speak. And uh, of those, we've got three that are working to get to the residents and another one interested. So the choice is provided on our network uh, by having choices in services and providers. And what's happening in the fall? We're kind of penciling in October 5th. We're going to hold our official launch. So it'll be the official launch of the Ammon Fiber Network. And we're going to try and get as many people from the region and in fact, across the country to come so we can help them to understand what it is we've actually done here in Ammon. Well, I'm, I'm excited to be there. I will be there. And I hope that when people hear what we're about to talk about, they'll be more interested in coming as well. Uh, Mike, uh, tell us a little bit about the Strategic Networks Group. 
Uh, Chris, well, what we do is look at the, the, the economic impacts and, and community benefits of broadband investments. You know, I started this working on this field in, in 95, and even back then people knew that Internet and, and broadband was important, but, you know, there wasn't the funding to invest. And so how do you, you know, show that return on investment, whether it's a private sector case or a community uh, benefit investment case? So that's what we've done over the number of, last number of years. Once you have it, what do you do with it so you can realize those you know, business growth and, and community benefits uh, that are the promise of broadband and why people invest in it? And how did you get involved with uh, Ammon then? A, a bit of an interesting story, but I was preparing uh, to present at the Oregon Broadband Advisory Council. And in this path, when I was looking at, and they had a lot of unserved and underserved areas, uh, I was introduced uh, to, to Bruce uh, back in January of this year. And as I understood the, got to know the Ammon story better, you know, we, we started, Bruce and I started working together and documenting, you know, what are the, you know, municipal cost reductions, the you know, consumer or subscriber uh, savings and the economic uh, benefits of what Ammon has done. It, it, it's been an interesting uh, path and, and some really interesting findings. Basically, that say, you know, communities and regions, you can self-finance this if you take a longer-term view of it and you look at it as a, a community uh, investment. So let's dig into the findings. What, what did you find that you think is really interesting? The basis uh, of, of what motivated the investment was connecting the municipal offices and, and school districts and so forth, the municipal facilities. And we found that they real are, are realizing $70,000 a year in cost savings. And that represents $1.8 million over 25 years, which was the period that when Bruce proposed the investment, that that would be the payback period. And there was a bit of an aha moment when we, Bruce and I were working the numbers and we, we, we came up with the, the, you know, the $69,628 you know, in annual cost savings. And Bruce, I mean, you, you, you step in here, but you said, wow, that's actually you know, paying that back in, in, in less time than we had expected. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It was kind of an aha moment because, you know, one thing as government that we're good at is we document everything we do, but we don't necessarily revisit those figures and try and correlate them. And so Michael was really great at that. You know, he, he had to press me sometimes and say, you know, can you give me this data? Can you get me this data? And we worked through those figures. And then as he started to correlate them and pull them together, we knew there was cost savings. I mean, that was the fundamental reason we embarked on putting our own infrastructure in was it was, it was a fixed upfront cost. It reduced our ongoing operational costs. And we got out of outsourcing to multiple providers connectivity, actually improved our operations, reduced the man hours we were spending. So it takes a lot of work to actually go in and start to answer those questions. How much time are we saving? What's that equate to in money? And what are we saving in services that we are paying somebody else for? What does it actually cost us to operate this and what's the difference between those two numbers. So I appreciate Michael's help because I don't think we would have got to that point without his analysis. And so to be clear of what that, what that number is, the $70,000 per year, um, this is basically what you would have been paying or were paying in the past for connectivity. And now you compare that to the cost of doing your own network and, and running this and, and having to take management and everything else. So all of those costs and you're saving money after you compare those two. Well, first of all, it's made up of telecommunications, you know, phone and, and internet. And there's what they were paying before, you know, for all the municipal buildings and, and connecting the facilities. And 
there's also cost avoidance because I think the impetus for all of this, what Bruce described, is they had a new public works building uh, that was built, and to connect it, the first incumbent that was approached said, you know, we're not going to you know, do a, a fiber connection to that. And the other one said, it's going to be $80,000 up front and $2,500 a month on an ongoing basis. That's, that's a huge expense over a period of time. What can we do with that kind of uh, investment? That's correct. And that, that was probably the turning point that forced us to take a look at what could we build it for ourselves. And interestingly enough, it was literally a fourth the cost. So when you look at that $80,000 price tag, that's because in order for any incumbent carrier to take you into their fiber network, they have to extend their existing network, and they will take that back to where they have a switch location. Well, the switch location for this incumbent provider was actually further away from the building we were trying to, the buildings that we were trying to connect than they were from each other. So our distance was greatly reduced by just simply connecting the two buildings. And we didn't frankly care about joining a wider network, as it were. We were interested in private network service between the two buildings. So it really just made sense for us. We built it ourselves, and frankly, it doesn't cost us anywhere near $2,500 a month to operate it. And we started to operate it at uh, one gig. That actual $2,500 a month was a price for a 100 meg connection at the time. Now, this does go back a number of years. So in all fairness, as we start to talk through these numbers, we always have to remember that the numbers we have are a snapshot in time. We've seen that uh, prices drop, bandwidth goes up, but still, when, a, when any business entity, including a municipality, has to make a business decision, you have to act on the numbers you have at your fingertips at the time. And as we looked at it, it was pretty clear to us that it was better for us to invest, put that connectivity in ourselves, and start to operate it. And then as we did that, we knew we would have excess capacity. And, and that's where the genesis of this idea of how could we use this for the community? Because in reality, the community has helped to put this backbone in. And just a brief follow-up, Bruce, I'm, I'm curious because I've had this conversation with some other cities and school districts that have built their own networks. Um, some people might assume it's harder and more work when you own the network and you have to manage it. Um, when I've talked to folks, they've actually suggested that in many ways it's easier because if something goes wrong, they know how to fix it. They don't get stuck on hold with uh, some uh, large company in a data center somewhere and, and then waiting for them to figure it out. That's very true. I think, you know, the reality is it's as complicated as you want to make it. And that might sound a little oversimplistic, but I, I think it's a fundamental basic truth about it because most cities have a public works department and those people, they go out and they dig in the dirt and they do locates and they repair lines. Is there a little bit of a different skill set? Yes, there is. But if you're focused on the infrastructure, most cities already have the greatest percentage of the tools they'll need. They may have to add some extra skill sets but they're already engaged in that work. They already work in the right-of-way. It's already their right-of-way. And so for that reason, that isn't a heavy lift. Then you've got to just look inside and ask yourself what your technical skill set is. And again, it might be slightly different, but most cities operate an enterprise network. And frankly, as everything moves to Ethernet, everything moves to IP networks, uh, again, that skill set I would predict most cities have in their wheelhouse. Great. Well, I, the reason I wanted to bring that up is just to note that these um, monetary assessments, the kind of thing that, that SNG really specializes in digging out these hard savings, um, that's not the total savings. There's other benefits as well that I just want to make sure we get on the record. Uh, now, Michael, I'm curious, um, you know, what, what else you found, and particularly maybe for subscribers, what, what kind of benefits did you find for them? 
in essence, saving, 80% of them were saving $70 a month. Wow. Wow. $70 and getting a better month. internet. Yeah. 80% of them were getting, you know, hundred down three up with being connected to the, the admin network. The infrastructure was covered. The operations and maintenance was covered, you know, $17 each. And then they could choose what broadband service from the various providers. And Bruce mentioned at the beginning of this, this podcast, you know, they've already got, you know, a number on and, and more coming on board. And so, for the, the best deal um, that they had um, when, we, when we did this was 75 down, 75 megabits per second up for $19.99, which came out to you know, just under $55. When you add that all up, the subscriber benefits uh, is pretty significant, and it comes out to uh, $31 million over the, the 25 years. Just to make sure people are, are clear, because we didn't go over this in this in this call, but um, the the way the network works is you pay a service provider um, this twenty dollars per month for the for the low cost package, which is faster than than I'm certainly getting at a near at a comparable price, um, and then you're also paying the city for maintenance of the fiber, which is um, uh, sixteen dollars and fifty cents per month, and then you're also paying um, uh, most homes opt to do an assessment for the for the one time cost of connecting the fiber to their home. And so those are three different costs that are paid. Two of them are ongoing forever. And uh, those are the maintenance and then the ISP costs. Um, and then once the physical infrastructure is paid off, that charge would drop away. But you're summing those together and you got $55. That's right. That's right. And uh, I think the, the LID one uh, was you know, $700,000 for 230 households which worked out to about $3,000 per property, and people will balk at that. That's been amortized over the 20 years to be $17 a month. Adding those together, connection to the hard connection to the home, the operations and maintenance, and the, the, the broadband service, they total $55 a month, which is $70 less than the 120 they would otherwise be paying. So that was a big uh, boost uh, to these people who signed up for it. I mean, if they can realize those kinds of savings and have improved service, why not? And so to us, what became really interesting about the Ammon model is that, first of all, you've got the network with all the you know, municipal buildings and facilities and even the school board. So uh, just to recap, the telecommunication internet cost reductions for the municipal properties was uh, $991,000 over the 25 years. The cost avoidance of that new municipal building being connected, as we discussed earlier, was $830,000, so 1.8. The school district, for the three schools that were connected, and there's 12 more that are in the process of being that, but just for those three schools that were connected, it's $2 million. So the network, which was a $1 million, was paid for by the municipal cost reductions. The school district benefits, and then these subscribers are benefiting significantly each month. When, and then when you total all that up, which you did, you have a town of 15,000 people and they're saving, um, you're predicting, uh, more than a million dollars per year over the, the next 25 years. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, and that's why I think it's so important to, to, to share this story. Communities and regions that know they need it, I mean, they may not understand the technology fully, but they know that they need it. If you take a longer term view of this, 20, 25 years. If you look at it as, you know, the same way you look at clean water, as roads, as uh, electricity, and we have models for that. Now you're talking about broadband as an essential service. 
well, what does that now you know enable you to do? And I think you know Ammon is is, is a, a good case example of here's what you can do. You know, this is a, well, it's a sustainable debt in, in that way. They pay for it through the the reserves, but it's a sustainable debt that is for the vitality of the community. Because if you don't have it, how do you expect to keep the business you have, let alone track ones? Uh, I've talked to a community uh, last week that you know kids can't even do their homework because it's mostly online. How do you expect to keep those families? And so this is essential for the vitality, and you can do it in a way that minimizes risk. So I think our last bullet point is on economic development, how it impacts uh, businesses. And Bruce, maybe you can kick this off by uh, just reminding us how it is that businesses are presently connected because uh, your first local um, uh, improvement district doesn't have any businesses in it, but you've connected a number of businesses and it sounds like your second local improvement district will have businesses. So if I'm a business, what are my options? So we actually operate two models today. We have a model that goes to the businesses and a little bit different economic model for the residents. We see in the future that it'll all be one model. But let me explain to you what I'm saying when I say we have two models. For the residents, we maintain a portal process where there are prepackaged internet services and other services that they can choose from. And through that website, they can then filter the bandwidths they want or the price they want to pay or the particular providers that they like, and it will actually present them with all their choices. It's an automated system. They click subscribe, they get that service. For a business, that doesn't make sense for us today because a business is fairly specific. It wants a certain number of phone extensions, and it may want very specific bandwidth. So for businesses, they approach the city and say they'd like to come onto the fiber system. We build an extension to them, and then they have their choice of the six different providers that provide business services. So then they can call them, shop each and every one of them, figure out which one has the package they want, which one has the services they want at the best price, and they make an agreement with that provider. We charge that provider a flat monthly rate of $35 a month for a gigabit connection to that business. So we actually get paid by the provider in that business environment. Uh, That's a little bit different because in the residential section, as you discussed, there are three buckets. There is paying for the installation, which goes on the property. There's paying the city to maintain and operate the fiber, and then they make their deal directly with the service provider, which allows them no contracts, the ability to change at any time, and do those types of things. So it's just slightly different for the businesses today, but as Michael noted, they do get services at quite a bit lower cost than what is available to them across from the incumbents. And we've seen price adjustments on the part of the incumbents and others as they come into Ammon now to compete with us, which really just improves the options for everybody. I want to come back to that in a second with you, Mike, and, and those savings. But first, let me just note, so the amount you're charging the providers to use this line, is, it seems when you look at how much that that cost would be in other cities, um, ludicrously small, which to me suggests that the city of Ammon is really prioritizing um, making sure that businesses are well-connected. Is, is that kind of your focus? You're, you're not trying to recover everything as fast as possible. It seems like you just really want to benefit local businesses. That's right. I mean, it's really about what our incentives are, and our incentives here are to break even. And we've already figured that we've broken even on the bulk of the investment just from the savings to the city. And the city has no incentive to go and make money off of this. 
So we just really want to leverage what we have. And as long as a business or a resident comes in and they pay for the extension, which is what we require, we have no investment to bring them on. They've invested. So all we're really going to do is take over maintenance and operation of their extension that they paid for. So we, the service we render is we will take over maintenance and operation to care for that fiber line that they've put in. And we're going to do that at, a, at the cost that it costs us to maintain and operate it, which involves locates or repairs. Uh, that resident or that business then receives the value for their investment, not the city. And we feel like that's an important distinction. And I think this is just the the right time to mention the Thrive, which is another part of your effort to really um, make sure that you're open for business in some ways. Um, What's happening there? So for those that are a little bit more technical, we offer a software-defined network, which means that uh, all of our connectivity is controlled by in software, which really is how we manage a portal system that allows the end user to provision his own services. And as part of that, we have a number of servers. We have some hardware assets. Think of the Amazon cloud, Christopher. You go to Amazon and you get a certain amount of technical resources and you can spin up some kind of technical service or application and then start to sell that across the internet, whether it's on the Android platform or the iOS platform, doesn't matter. So Ammon Thrive is our effort at that. So that's a local effort. We have residents with gigabit connectivity. We have businesses with gigabit connectivity. And what we're saying is, is if you're a researcher or a developer, we're going to give you free service. And that free service can be cloud services. We'll give you hardware assets to create your own virtual servers, to design your own services, and we'll give you free one gigabit path to the addresses in our fiber system to test those. All it really takes is for that developer or researcher to get some local residents to want to participate in their little science experiment or their development of their Internet of Things product. That's where we're at. We want to become uh, an assistant to those, provide a tech hub, that others can use to try and develop next generation services. As we get back to the the cost savings and the benefits to the businesses, I think it's just worth noting once again what what Mike said earlier, which is that a lot of this has come about because of the way you finance the network. Um, you know, in terms of um, having so much of it um, already paid for, it gives you freedom to engage in these other kinds of activities that create soft benefits beyond what SNG has totaled. Um, but Mike, just um, let's go back to the the businesses that are there today. Uh, what kind of savings are you predicting for them based on what you've seen already? Well, we're predicting uh, just under $72,000 per business on average a year. Before I sort of get into what those numbers mean, I, I wanted to jump back and, and, and talk about the financing because I think this is you know, really fundamental about what Ammon has done. When you have private sector investment, they've got to have certain uh, level of returns to return in, you know, the investment dollars that are uh, made. Plus, they've got a shorter time frame to deal with. And you know, I think I really want to key off on what Bruce said. They're, tr- they're trying to break even in Ammon, and they're looking o- at it over a, a longer time frame. So the investment that was made to connect the, the anchor institutions and those municipal buildings and facilities, that uh, I think is fundamental to the vitality of a community, the ongoing sustainability of that community. And they can do it r- really cost-effectively, and they treat it as a public works project. When you then had the neighborhoods then sign up to these uh, local improvement districts or broadband improvement districts, as Bruce already said, you know, when they reached that 60% threshold of people signing up, they already had the money to build it. So there was no debt that the city had to go in. It was the property owners that 
said, we're going to do this, we're going to take on this, this cost. And so that enabled this to be built. What I find really interesting then is with not only the, the cost savings um, to the subscribers, the reductions to the municipal cost, which, you know, in those in itself to pay for the network build, on top of it, you have now these uh, economic benefits. The businesses need that pipe, a good, reliable, affordable pipe for what they need, and that depends depending on size and so forth. But you know, our research has shown, and we've got a database of over 70,000 records, and we see that the smaller the business, they may have the pipes or may not, but the lower the level of, of you know, utilization, how they're actually, what are those online business practices? The more rural they are, also the lower the level of utilization. So you can get that bigger pipe. Some of them will use it to its full potential. Fantastic. But, you know, 80-plus percent of them aren't fully benefiting from the pipe that Bruce is making it available. So when you invest evolving in new technologies, here's what you need to do to be relevant because if you're not online, people won't find you anymore. With that, you know, kind of economic development and, and local training and awareness, our, our uh, findings show that, you know, 52 businesses, small businesses, less than 50 employees, you know, would have an annual impact of $3.7 million in uh, annual incremental revenue. And so when you talk about this saving of $72,000 per business, um, that is uh, based not on their the fact that they have lower bills because uh, most of them aren't paying that much in their bills. Um, what you're saying is is that a community that is properly helping those businesses to take full advantage of it, those businesses will see such incredible process improvements and productivity gains. The 72000 is the new revenues. Generally speaking, um, they're able to access new markets, offer new uh, services, and so they're realizing new revenues. There are cost savings. Our findings are that they're a fraction compared to the new revenue opportunities. People realize, I save time, but they actually haven't quantified the amount of times. But the new revenues show up in the top line and in the bottom line. The $78 million of economic development benefits are from businesses being more productive and generally having uh, more capacity to compete and, and, and grow and thrive, basically. Absolutely. And I think there's an important element here because communities think, you know, that's a lot of money to invest, you know, whatever that cost is to build a network. But if you don't give those businesses better broadband, we're finding, well, one, they can't grow. If you don't do it, there's going to be an opportunity cost as well. And that's something we're getting into as well, to looking at that. When you start doing this kind of analysis up front, you know, before sometimes even a feasibility or a demand study, by looking at these numbers up front to say, you know, we, know, we have an idea what the costs would be. And well, we can get more, much, much more detail later on the feasibility. But if we have no idea what the benefits are, costs in isolation are prohibitive. So if we understand, you know, all these costs, reductions, cost savings to subscribers, economic benefits, and so forth, and, and community benefits, there's also quality of life. Well, now we can see the benefits far outweigh the costs. Now let's make those decisions to invest the right of money to do this right, to look at the demand, feasibility as needed, and even get into engineering and design. And, and I think that's what Bruce, you know, he, he jumped a couple steps because he realized, you know, this is a utility. This is for our future. Um, we need to do this. There is no question we need to do this. Bruce, I'm just curious if, if you have um, perhaps a, an anecdote of, uh, of one business or, t or just any comments you've had from uh, some of the businesses as a result of this network. Well, one thing that we've had happen is there's a business from out of the region. They actually uh, sell a 
Internet of Things device. Uh, it's actually a device that you put into a commercial freezer in a restaurant, and it monitors uh, the temperature in that freezer. There's value in the food that's stored there and so forth. So they take it and monitor it, and they run an online service where that little device will report back, and, and people that buy that device automatically get a username and password into the system, and so they can create their own notifications, and they receive a text message or an email if, if anything goes out of whack. And they've operated in a rural part of Idaho. Uh, they've taken a hard look at the city of Ammon, and they are going to relocate into the city of Ammon for two reasons. Uh, one, that internet bandwidth is cheap here, and they can now move away from a cloud service and actually install a server in their business location and host it themselves, which they feel like represents some cost savings. But more importantly, it gives them some control and access uh, improvements that they don't really have currently. And then they are looking for houses in Ammon residential fiber areas because the city will provide uh, one gigabit access to their business as part of the utility service at no additional fee. So we are seeing businesses move in. They're choosing to do it for different reasons, but uh, clearly as they understand the model, and that's the key, as they understand the model, they start to understand how to leverage the infrastructure in a way that works for them in their business model. Great. Well, thank you both so much for, for sharing all this information and uh, being such pioneers. Well, thank you very much, Chris. Thank you, Chris. That was Christopher with Bruce Patterson from Ammon, Idaho, and Strategic Networks Group's Michael Curry. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcasts at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Subscribe to this podcast and the other ILSR podcasts, Building Local Power and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening to episode 259 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. <laughs>